0: generational healing and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma together we will become more self-compassionate connected authentic resilient and heart-centered so we can live our own full and beautiful lives as a listener of this podcast you're welcome to come over and join the facebook group so search on facebook for grow yourself up it's a private facebook group of all the listeners did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hello, welcome back. It's episode 66 of Grow Yourself Up. Today, we're going to start talking about a really, really big topic. And I I've touched on this in a lot of episodes already, but I want to start specifically focusing a bit more on emotional neglect. And I'm going to talk first about um, narcissistic families and what happens in narcissistic families. So, first of all, just a few kind of uh, definitions or context. So childhood emotional neglect is a term that is commonly used now to describe when we haven't got our needs met in childhood, so specifically our emotional needs, when our parents haven't tended to our emotions enough. They haven't responded to our feelings. They haven't taught us how to respond to their feelings, to our feelings. They haven't kind of coached us and given us access to our own emotional landscape. So we land up being very, very emotionally shut down. The term uh, childhood emotional neglect, which is often abbreviated to CEN, I believe comes from um, someone called Jonas Webb. She's written a book called Running on Empty. I haven't actually read that book, but I believe that um, it's a helpful book in in case you have childhood emotional neglect. And childhood emotional neglect, I would suggest, occurs in all families where there's other trauma and dysfunction, because by definition, the parents can't be really available to um, be present for the children's emotions. And in some families... um, There is only childhood emotional neglect that exists, but it's all really on a continuum. And also to complicate matters, I think it's really important to look at generational cycles and also historical context. So parenting advice, we're now sitting in 2023. We have a lot of um, information from the worlds of neuroscience, from developmental psychology, from, um, psychoneuroendocrinology, endo- uh, I think it's called. Um, we have like tons and tons of research information that's coming from different fields, which essentially backs up attachment theory. So all of attachment theory, the kind of core thing about attachment theory is it says we're driven by a relationship. Um, Freud's earlier work in um, psychoanalysis there was debate about what drove us um there was debate about whether it was a death instinct that drove us or were we driven by sexual urges only but um Bowlby and his colleagues Mary Main and Mary Ainsworth and and many um more uh, modern attachment um, researchers and theorists have really um and indeed, polyvagal theory really provide evidence for the fact that we are relationship seeking. We need relationships to survive. Connection is what keeps us going, and we know that our brain is built in relationship, which is why the first thousand days of our lives are so crucial because we make so many connections in our brains. Literally, the volume of our brain increases massively in those first three years, but all of this information is relatively new. So there was a huge um uh, investment in the states in um brain research and neuroscience in the 1990s. It was called the decade of the brain and that that huge investment in research resulted in a lot of discoveries that have been really really helpful. Out of that came um the awareness that we have plasticity that our brains are plastic that we can create new neural pathways, the old ones don't go away, but we can um create new um, behaviors, we can uh, consciously choose a new way of being um, and kind of practice that over and over and over. Um, So there's a lot of hope that's come out of that space. And what it also means is that we can now look back at the parenting advice that was given out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and see that there was absolute total rubbish um, in terms of not being what the child needed, you know, there's, there's lots of advice. So i currently live in the, in the UK. And, um, even when I had twins, um, so my girls are now seven. So in the twi- in 2016. And because we had twins, we got, um, we were kind of really desperate at some point and we got some help from what's called in this country a maternity nurse. But some of the people that we interviewed were very, um what I would describe as old fashioned in their approach. And they sort of said things like, we'll just leave the baby at the bottom of the garden and let it cry. Or, um, you know, you kind of have to train them. You don't want to spoil them. Um You don't respond to them too much. So I was like, flabbergasted that that type of advice is still given out because it's not based in science at all and it's not based in healthy child development but that's really that kind of approach of the idea of children should be seen and not heard um other platitudes like spare the rod spoil the child which basically means if you don't physically discipline you're spoiling the child um other things that also have been common parenting phrases things like i'll give you something to cry about so Shaming children for crying, um, and also mistaken notions that children can't feel pain or that they, they won't remember. So it doesn't matter. And that's even meant that, um, medical procedures and, um, it, like there's basically a knot of medical trauma that has happened in the past in childhood because they haven't adequately taken account of the fact that children feel just as much pain as adults and, um, that, you know, things like hospital stays, um, they haven't taken account of the fact that children will really need their parents and how abandoned they would feel if they didn't have their parents overnight. So there's masses of um, kind of historical context, here, which is really important to hold in mind, because the information that your parents or your grandparents would have been given if they were indeed given any information um, would likely not have been helpful but where we've landed up is that we're a society certainly in the western world where there's widespread childhood emotional neglect i think it's um kind of one of the tragedies of our time and reconnecting to our own emotional expression and helping our children with that is really life-changing because um our emotions are a guide they arise up from our um, from our bodies and they 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 guide us when to put down boundaries. They guide us around what we like. They guide us around what we need. But for many of us, it's a long process to do that reconnection to self and to actually understand what our body is trying to tell us. So know that... If you have experienced emotional neglect in childhood, a huge part of your parenting journey will be coming back in contact with your own emotions and allowing them. Because many of the people in, in kind of a, who are trying to parent their children in a connected space, so either responsive parenting, connected parenting, gentle parenting, whatever you want to label it, the core of many of these is responding to your child's emotions and and teaching your child about their emotions and allowing them but for many of us uh, access to our own emotions has been really shut down so you are creating capacity for yourself to to notice to accept because acceptance is a huge part of this to allow and to listen to your own emotions even as you do this for your child but one of the main, main reasons that your own child's emotions may be so threatening is simply because you have been given no access to your own. So I, I really want you to kind of ponder on that and narrate. Like if your child has a massive meltdown in a supermarket or at home or wherever it is, um, your own mother's voice or your own father's voice or your grandparents' voice might immediately come out of your head because you... Because by definition, if you're not given any access to your emotions, you would have just had a, been shut down, um, or learned to repress your emotions or literally cut off for of them. So these are all different, um, psychological coping strategies to manage the shutting down of emotions. And so your first instinct when your child has big emotions, whatever those big emotions are, may be just to shut them down because you've never learned, um, how to respond to your own emotions. And I think that's one of the main issues why so many of us struggle in um, the postpartum period, because we've never had any um, ability to uh, regulate our emotions. And so this is a huge learning piece. So really um, like acknowledge that for yourself, because you are doing this for your toddler or your teenager or your 10-year-old or your five-year-old, your six-year-old, your eight-year-old, as you do it for yourself, which is why there can be so much pain. Your own interreception is key to this. So interreception, remember, is a term from, um, well, it's actually a widely used term, but in polyvagal theory, uh, Stephen Paul just talks about how interreception is part of our neuroception. So it's part of the way our nervous system makes sense of what's going on and establishes whether we're safe or unsafe or experiencing danger. And our own neuroception is 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 all our own bodily sensations, to what extent do we notice what is going on in our body? Do we notice, oh, my hands seem very tense? Do we notice whether we need the loo or do we literally only notice when we're about to literally wee and we have to run to the bathroom? Do we notice when we're hungry? To what extent do we notice when we're thirsty? All of these things are rarely vital and deepening into our own awareness of our bodily sensations is key but again this is a this is like a slow process we can't suddenly um in, in in somatic experiencing we titrate into this type of um tracking because we don't want to overwhelm ourselves in the present moment um okay so i want to say a bit about um narcissistic families and Both parents can be narcissistic. It's actually quite a common combination that one parent is an alcoholic and the other one is a narcissist. Um, Narcissistic, having narcissistic traits does not mean you've got narcissistic personality disorder. That's a separate thing that is a diagnosis in the the DSM-5. I'm not specifically talking about narcissistic personality disorder now, but again, that is also all about nervous system regulation. I'm talking about in a narcissistic family, where the needs of the parent system take precedence over the needs of the children. So ideally in a family, we would have um, the parents focusing down the generations and extending care to the children all of the time because the children are young, they don't have a fully developed brain, and the parents chose to have the children. But in a lot of families, we have this dynamic which arises where the parents see the child as an extension of them, almost like a possession, and that the child is there to serve their needs, to make them feel better, to make them look good, to help them feel good, to emotionally coach them, to minimize their own kind of uh, needs in order for the parent system or parents to get what they need it might be that you have um a narcissistic mother and an alcoholic father or you have a, a narcissistic mother and that that mother is just intent on um like smoothing over the father's ego and managing his career and helping him look good in, in the in the career or the life so that there's a very polished kind of nice like family look projected, but internally the children are completely emotionally neglected in that and kind of not paid attention to in their own authenticity. Sometimes there's an alcoholic mother and a narcissistic father. And the, the, the key thing about a narcissistic parent is they're, they're not able to mentalize and to understand that their child is having a different experience to them. And that indeed that child's experience is really important this is a really, really common pattern that gets passed down. So if your mother complained about her mother bitterly and alternated between saying that they were so close, but then sometimes really complained bitterly about her, and you may feel exactly the same about your mother. So you may sometimes feel she's been your best friend and the person that you're closest to. Often this is when like an adult daughter will speak to her mother three times a day and feel like she has to tell the mother everything. and. Often we're in denial about this for a long time, actually. It might be that other people can see much more clearly what's going on. Sometimes when, when, um, when we get into a long-term love relationship, the partner is the one who highlights, um, wow, this is kind of a strange dynamic that you have with your mother or with your father, actually, if you're phoning them all the time and if you're emotionally coaching them and soothing them. But for the person who's involved in that narcissistic relationship with a parent, it can be a long time before they can actually see what's going on. And this is a really key reason, um, around why your own needs may feel illegitimate. So if you've been in a, in a relationship with a parent where you have always been their emotional coach, you have worked to make them feel better, uh, you have helped them with the troubles in their life, you have worked to be clever and good and kind and pretty and good at sport or whatever is valued as important in your family to make that parent feel good. Then your own needs have have by necessity been shoved down, and so claiming those back, realizing that you're actually allowed needs is a is a is a is a process that can actually come as quite a shock to realize. Wow, um, actually, it's my responsibility to tend, to tend to myself now I'm an adult, and it it can become an even even more of a shock because we we don't have any idea how to do that, and a common dynamic. That arises when a parent, when a child, so the child of a narcissistic parent, when a child tries to communicate, this is how your behavior makes me feel. The issue is, is that that narcissistic parent is not able to take that on board and does not have enough mental capacity or emotional maturity to consider their own impact. So, for example, if there's a pattern of behavior where, um, your say your mother or your father is constantly demanding things from you which you can no longer deliver and this often happens actually once you start having children because you can no longer service them in the way that you were doing once you've now got children and that's when kind of you might start to notice kind of sort of like the light of of the truth of what's going on breaking through and So when, when the child tries to represent your behavior impacts me like this, what, what will happen with the narcissistic parent is they then turn on the child and say, Oh, you've hurt me so much. I can't believe you're saying that you're attacking me and descend into tears or some sort of emotional drama or make a big kind of catastrophe, perhaps cut them off for a while or something like that. And that is so devastating for the child that they can't even remember. In fact, that they started this conversation with, um, with, Trying to emotionally engage with the parent to explain how they were feeling and trying to have an adult conversation. So they then go back into rescuing the parent and to, um, to soothing the parent and apologizing. And so again, there's that pattern of neglect, neglect and abandonment, self-abandonment constantly. So, and with, with a narcissistic parent, they really have to go through a process of their own of growing themselves up to understand their impact and to take on board that they can be, they can look at their own shadow side. But this, why this re, this pattern is so common, like why it travels down the generations is because the reason that the narcissistic parent can't do that is because they've got their own huge narcissistic wound. And so their whole self-concept is based on looking good, feeling good, um, feeling that they're right. So if their own child comes to them and says, this is your impact on me, da-da-da-da-da, like this has been damaging or whatever they're saying. The parent has to do everything in their power to push that away and deny that and uh, make the child wrong because they cannot welcome in their own um, shadow side. I hope this is making sense. And so then what often happens is that ultimately um, the relationship between narcissistic parents and children land up in um, no contact boundaries or estrangement or very limited interactions where um, there's like strong boundaries around how the interactions happen, because ultimately it can get too painful to keep on interacting. But this is, again, extremely personal, like extremely personal and often needs to be worked through in therapy for many years, because when we've learned a specific way of being that kept us safe in childhood, intimately tied to the, the people who we we love the most, even if they've hurt us the most, it's extremely complex to unpick this. So this is just a kind of a first taster episode. We're going to be diving into this a lot more, but um, if you recognize yourself in this and if you... If you struggle to have boundaries with your narcissistic parent or you long for a no contact relationship, but actually it feels impossible to do that, please know you're not alone. This is a, um, a, a, like a widespread and extremely painful presentation. So I'm sending you lots of love and, um, uh, let me know how this landed with you. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up. Hosted by Kath Cunahan, we'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.